Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today it is going to be Jeremy Cobb guesting once again, and we have a very special guest joining he and I, and it is none other than Adam Lee, who is worked for Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering for many, many years. He has set out on his own and is the co-founder of a place called Mysterious Alchemy. And you can hear a conversation about three DMs just hashing it out and trying to figure out more about the worlds they're playing in. But before that, if you're interested, I have finally dipped my toes into the professional DM world and posted a game on Start Playing. You can find a link in the show notes to that if that's something of interest. It is entitled Avast campaign set in the Ghosts of Saltmarsh setting. So you get it, a vast pirate talk and a play on words. And if it fills up fast enough, you never know, I might make more. And if you have suggestions on games you think I should just absolutely be running, then you can always let me know on social media, email, wherever you can find me. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Today on The Meat, we have a returning guest. It's been way too long, and it just popped in my head. I sent a message, immediate response. So today we have Adam Lee, co-founder of Mysterious Alchemy, and former creative lead and storyteller for Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Honestly, go to your shelf. Pick a book. His name is probably in it. So, Adam, thanks for coming back on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Is there anything you are currently working on that you can talk about? We do not wish to violate any NDAs. We see the little red dot appear on the forehead uh, (laughs) as you start to lean towards certain topics. So anything that you can tell us about? Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I'm currently working on a book with Random House, the 10-speed press. And uh, yeah, it's D&D related. That's about as far as I can say, coming out uh, sometime next year. I also just wrapped up working on a Magic the Gathering Oracle card. It's like a tarot card deck and doing a booklet for them. And uh, and I also got to work with an amazing artist, Fred Gazubel. I worked with him on this product, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, tarot card deck. Yeah. And so we, beautiful. we teamed up again um, with the the editor Angela from Clarkson Potter, and she's amazing. And her team, uh, Nicole Locke, and there were a few others in there that uh, were just phenomenal. And yeah, we together we just kind of created this Oracle deck. It's a little different from a tarot deck. So I'm a bit of a tarot nerd. I've been doing it a long time, and it was great to work on this because. Uh, I get to kind of put in my own sort of how I look at sort of tarot and, um, you know, there's, there's this kind of spectrum from sort of way out there that you're kind of doing psychic stuff. And then there's the, the sort of disbeliever part where it's like, it's all nonsense. It's all, you know, silly and random. But the way I look at tarot is that it's a conversation that really, um, the cards are a way for you to kind of, um, have serious conversations that maybe go a little bit deeper than your average sort of like encounters, like 
you know, hi, how's it going? What's the weather like? And the actual, when you sit down and you have a, a deck of cards, there's kind of like this unspoken sort of agreement that we're going to get a little bit more in depth about what life is or what about, you know, how somebody's feeling or, you know, maybe talking about a problem somebody's got. And the cards do that. The cards kind of create this set and setting where it's like, um, there's this agreement like, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually explore something um, substantive here. And that, I think, is the really cool thing about tarot cards. Um, whether or not, you know, you could have psychic experiences and all that or read the future or tell somebody's fortune. Great. I don't know. I, you know, I, you know, the thing that I value about it is that it's a way to get to know somebody a little bit better. And um, so that's what I put in the book. And the sort of the, the booklet has all the cards and I wrote all the definitions for the cards. It goes into that. So that was kind of a nice thing for me to work on um, because I like that it kind of it's doing something in the direction where we're breaking down sort of barriers to one another and we can actually get to know people better. And of course, D&D is all about that <laughs> through a game. So I mean, it's it's often said and I think it comes up with. I mean, D&D, but I think the game that really set it forward was Warhammer 40,000. And the term is dice tell stories in the same way that Mm. you're referring to it is like cards tell stories. Um, Because if you think like there's so many versions of of what you've said, and it's I mean, we could probably spend an entire podcast series on the psyche behind allowing basically this neutral party that in in truth has no actual power to then dictate all of these things, because like. Let's be honest, the number of things that a person is willing to say when we're playing cards against humanity is far beyond their nor <laughs> and it, you know, obviously that's the a more comedic premise to to the one that you've presented, but like yeah, it's yeah. that same kind of thing. It's like mm. it's all in there. But these cards yeah. or this dice is unlocking or leading you down a path or that you wouldn't have got to on your own. So and whatever you want to attribute that to, that doesn't change the fact of the matter is that without those cards facilitating it, those conversations wouldn't have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Your perspective on this is really, really interesting, Adam, because I, the usually from my background, when tarot cards get brought up, it is usually in the context of someone actively believing uh, yeah. in supernatural power that the cards may have or supernatural forces that the cards are tapping into as opposed to how you're describing it, which seems like more uh, of a vehicle for human connection. Like a means by which we are able to express, we're able to more easily express things to each other uh, in much of the way that Neil's also talking about it. Like in the way that like a role playing game, the dice allow you to explore things. They free you up to explore things and express things and think about things in ways that you might not have done otherwise. So that's a really interesting perspective. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, like one of the things I would always ask people before I, you know, sit down, you know, they come in for a tarot reading and. I'd ask them, first of all, like, have you had one before? They'd be like, yes or no. And if they're like, no, then I think I would, I would say, well, okay, now imagine there's a spectrum. And one side of the spectrum is everything's random. Nothing, you know, it, it, there's no sort of connectivity. It's just, you know, crazy molecules bumping into each other. And that just happened to spawn consciousness. And here we are on this rock in the middle of the cosmos, right? But it's all, it's all accidental. And the other end of that spectrum is everything is faded that you know we're sitting here together it's faded it was threads that the norns wove together and now this has this um this meaning like where do you where do you think we are on that sliding scale because it's not black and white it's not you know either or 
And they'll say somewhere like, well, maybe I'm right in the middle, or maybe I'm a little more towards everything's random, or maybe I'm, no, I'm really sort of like everything has a reason, everything has a purpose. And so once I kind of get that sliding scale, then I can say, well, if you're on the far other side of the scale where everything is, you know, everything has a purpose, everything has a reason, everything's kind of faded, then I'll say, all right, so this moment right now is very important because this moment was meant to happen. You're meant to be here. Every card that's getting flipped over is really now impactful for you. So like, okay, we're going to like really pay attention to that. If they say on the other side, they're like, everything's random, everything's, you know, just kind of whatever, then I'll tell them like, okay, well, we're just going to have a conversation then. And at, in this conversation, cards are going to get flipped over and they're just going to make you think about random stuff. But in that random stuff, let's use it to then investigate sort of as like a detective into our own psyches and just talk about what's there. You know, when you look in your mind and when you look at your life, what shows up for you? And then that then is a context in which somebody who kind of doesn't believe in, you know, kind of woo-woo stuff that then they can kind of enter into that world, but clad in the armor of, you know, that it's all sort of random and irrational. Um, mm. But of course, people who are in the other end of the spectrum, it's, it's like, okay, you know, they're already set, you know, here we go. <laughs> it's yeah. all, you know, so, uh, so it, that's just kind of a framing, like uh, a way to frame the whole tarot experience for both sides of the, you know, human experience. Mm -hmm. Where do you fall on that sliding scale? Uh, it's weird. I, I think I'm uh, kind of smack dab in the middle. I'm I'm a I'm a skeptic, um, but true neutral. I'm, yeah, I, I feel like I am true neutral. I feel I feel like I'm I'm, I'm in there. However, I slide. Uh, I love magic. I want to. I'm like Mulder in X Files. I want to believe. I want to believe in all the, the the far out stuff. I've had experiences that are just very makes me feel like okay, I'm in the Matrix. Like I do. <laughs> I do think that like there are people that I meet that are it's it's for a reason um just the whole premise of the big bang is kind of preposterous that we just came out of nothing and this whole thing just emerged from nothing it's like okay that's that's just hard for me to 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 accept there's got to be something there's got to be something else that's greater but i i don't know what that is so i'm in a way i'm agnostic i i'm searching i'm understanding i'm taking in the evidence as i get it and deep down, I'm like, I, I feel like life is magical. The universe is, is, you know, super amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And so, you know, I think I'm an optimist at, at, at heart, you know, so uh, I feel like everything's going to be all right, even though, you know, at right now, it's like really rough, you know, we're going through some really rough stuff. But I think there's a purpose for that. Like, it, it you know, we wake up out of I heard a thing that said we were more liable to wake up out of a nightmare than we are out of a pleasant dream. So, uh, so I think when things get rough, especially in my own life, I actually kind of embrace it and say, all right, well, this thing is, you know, driving me to wake up. It's driving me to kind of become conscious and, you know, be a better person. So yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my philosophy in a nutshell. Perfect. Let's yeah. leave that as a surprise question. Cause then that means Jeremy, I ask that of you and you in turn will ask that of me. Where do you fall on the spectrum uh, between everything is but random chaotic molecules bumping into each other and the other side is it was forever fated that they would bump just as they did? 
Mm. Uh, I'm in sort of a similar place, maybe to Adam, although more in like, I think I was raised to be much closer to the everything was ordered side. Although I feel like saying everything was ordered implies that everything was always going to be this way, no matter what you did, which seems to eliminate free will from the equation. So I would imagine I was on, like I was far to that side, but not to the extent that free will was completely eliminated. That the idea was that things were supposed to happen and things are supposed to happen, although you still have free will to work within that framework. More recently in the last couple of years, I've been sliding uh, further to the random side, but I'm certainly not all the way to the random side. And I'm still very much like, man, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's that, that's the side I'm on. I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> With that specific voice. How are you? <laughs> That's the same voice I yeah, got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was know. like, oh, wow. What? Maybe what it is faded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the entity far above us. Man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we serve the almighty shrug. Uh, that's right. Neil, yeah, Neil, where do you fall on that sliding scale? So I had not thought of this analogy in a while because I have not had this conversation in some time. But I'm somewhat in the middle, and I use Legos as the analogy, in the sense that I think that the building blocks that we have have been set out. But that doesn't dictate what a person would build with them, in the sense that I have a huge table of Legos with my kids, and I will just come up with ideas and have them go implement those ideas, or I'll talk to them. And they, But essentially, all of the same Legos are always there on that table what a person chooses to build with those um, is ultimately up to them though. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Those building blocks are set. Like, I mean, what we have is what we have and what we make of it is really just rearranging those Legos. Um, like you said, mm -hmm. if you have that moment where you say things, if it, you know, and we could play this analogy out and I'm a big fan of doing that probably too oh, much. So. Great. But the it. idea that like, if everything broke apart and everything was in shambles, what you choose to build with it is up to you again. And you can, and you, I mean, I'm sure everyone at this, on this call is just laid in a pile of Legos before and been like, oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> used that same voice before, but it doesn't, Absolutely. and it doesn't change the fact that, you know, to keep playing it out. Is it that you, Jeremy say, Hey, I have these that I'm not using and I can speak, you know, speak into the, your life and give those Legos back and forth. Um, so it is to say that, again, those building blocks, they're just there. But what a person chooses to do with it is their choice. Yeah, I love that. Well, this is this is one heck of an episode that I believe we were fated to have. But <laughs> hey! <laughs> Or we're, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so oh, one man. of the one of the things with mysterious alchemy, though, to segue us out, is that you do a lot of narrative design. Getting, I mean, to the point where it is like you know, really on a business level of establishing documents and having you know, really shoring up the intellectual property that someone would want to move forward with. Um, because when you look at the professional capacity of that, you kind of got to make sure that it's really put together because there it may never come up that you have issues with that ip and it may come up the next day that someone says hey the you know has additional questions or concerns or things like that so it's really about getting that ip to a place and i thought that was a good framing device for our conversation because right before we started recording we all talked about how the dm is kind of the the loneliest seat at the table because 
I can't talk. I mean, I just can't. I can't talk to my players in depth. That's a better way to say it is I can't talk to them in depth about the world and the story. I can if it's specific to their character. But like when it's the entirety, that's really difficult because it's like I don't want to overplay my hand. What if it's something that doesn't work later and now they're really invested? What if it's something that they then pull on too hard and I'm not ready because I don't have the pieces behind it? So I have entitled this episode Phone a DM uh, as as if it were um, one of the three things I could use on how to be a millionaire or who wants to be a millionaire. Um, So the premise was that we'll all kind of pitch like elevator pitch a world and then just try and help each other flesh it out like is it a question that each of us have after hearing that elevator pitch is it an immediate idea that we have afterwards um so yeah that's our framing device if, jeremy if you want to go first we can just jump in there sure i will wade in bravely and let me just throw out i do think what we are about to do here While this in and of itself can be very difficult to try and do with your players, the world that I'm about to pitch was created out of direct response from my players. I said, what kind of world would you like to play in? And they said this, like I listed genres and was throwing out ideas and they were like, we want those ones. And then I tried to sort of build to that, those, those recommendations. And then as they built up their backstories, they like locations would suddenly sprout up. Uh, Cause it's like, uh, yeah. Oh, well you're from this country. Oh, you have a, a nightclub. Great. There's a nightclub. Now it's in this part of the city. This part of the city exists now. And so in that sense, there was a very collaborative aspect and has continued to be a very collaborative aspect to the building of this world. Even if it's still down to me, maybe to make all the big story decisions, it is somewhat, it's still a very, it can still can be a very lonely decision, a lonely place to be, but it's possible. So this world is called Mavros. Uh, for anybody who has listened to uh, my show, Three Black Halflings, you may be familiar with this. It is the setting for our series, City of the Black Rose. Uh, it is, it was pitched to the players as a gothic horror and noir setting. Uh, there's mm-hmm. also elements of steampunk because another group was like, we want to do a steampunk thing. And I was like, all right, we'll just fold it in because it's, 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 it's related enough. Uh, and so it's, sort of a gothic horror noir steampunk situation. It draws a lot from sort of 19th century London and then early 20th century like New York and places like that. Uh, and also the mythology and stories that took place uh, and were set in those locations. So stuff like Varney the Vampire or mm-hmm. uh, Green Tea or Scarlet Pimpernel set in France, but you know, uh, like a little bit of that. Then you jump in like stuff like uh, Dick Tracy, The Shadow, things like that oh. all, all sort of play in. There are often parallels to a lot of those characters. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Frankenstein, etc. And it's essentially a large megalopolis called Mavros. Uh, it's multi-leveled. Uh, so the, the higher up you live, generally the richer you are. There's three distinct levels, uh, lower city, central city, and upper city. Of course, the richest people live in upper city. It has, the whole place has like the population density of Manhattan. So with, it's the size of uh, Rhode Island, roughly. Uh, so not a large city uh, in terms of, uh, squ- I mean, it's large, but not like the biggest city in terms of square feet footage, but the population density means it's got a population of like over a hundred million people between the three levels. So very high magic, but because it's heavily influenced by 19th century London, there's like sort of a magical revolution that's occurring. So like paralleling the scientific revolution and industrial revolution that was happening, uh, there's a magical revolution. 
So income inequality is rampant. Uh, it is very much a melting pot in terms of cultures. I generally am not a huge fan of settings that segregate according to race all that much in the first place. And in this setting, that's completely out the window to the extent that I even made a table that people can roll on to determine the races of NPCs. Because it's like, when we meet a new NPC, I will literally have them roll on a chart and we'll find out what that NPC is. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it, what really their culture matters more than whatever genetics they happen to have. So... Very influenced by noir in terms of the character types. You have your, there are people who played uh, hard-boiled detectives, people who play uh, street urchins. I had one person who was a corrupt religious leader. I've had a nightclub <laughs> owner. I've had a person who used to work in a factory, but the whole factory burned down. She was the only survivor and the spirits of her her slain family have now returned to her to try and help her avenge them. I can't even, we've had one guy who works at like, you know how you always hear about those like secret rich people clubs, especially in like the 19th century or early 20th century, like Aleister Crowley and Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he works as a bouncer in one of those places. Uh, and his brother got caught up in some gang warfare that also has a supernatural element to it. So he's been on a quest to try and figure out what has happened to his brother. And in the process, he accidentally got empowered by a powerful fae. Uh, and so now he's a wild magic barbarian. One person who was used as is a, is a warforged who was deactivated hundreds of years ago at the founding of the city and was used as a stage prop uh, and then got reactivated <laughs> by accident and now just works as like the stage manager for that theater company. Uh, so a whole range of characters, but it's a much more urban fantasy leaning much more towards a modern setting, if not a contemporary setting. That's those are kinds of the vibes uh, and some of the specifics. I can give more info if you want, but I'll open the floor now to suggestions, questions, comments, etc. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. I mean, I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to think of. I mean, I guess my first question is, what's the last thing that you've had happen where you didn't have an immediate answer? This is a this is a slight spoiler. Because this is gonna be this is gonna be relevant in a future three black halfling series, but so I won't go into too many specifics. But essentially, we had a character who was uh, the child of a prominent scientist, was kind of thrown out of the scientific establishment, have a really estranged relationship with their father. Their mother had perished when they were a child, and they had spent the last however many years essentially creating their mother like recreating their mother in like god form like they built like an organic uh mechanical god uh, in i think it was partially influenced by the character from uh metropolis the android from metropolis mm. who's able to like hypnotize and control people except instead of it being like a weird sinister sexualized element it's more of like they are filled with rage. Their character is filled with rage and also desires a nurturing relationship. And so they have created a being that when activated will gain immense power and function as a conduit for their rage and a source of protection and nurturing. Uh, and so oh. the, the session essentially ended with them confronting their father at this big expo and activating the machine, which then, the, the god essentially, which then became a fully fledged like demigod and began ascending and was began a rampage through the city and that was where we left off and i was left with that like well 
Things are about to change uh, in ways that I'm not entirely sure how all of this is going to wind up. So there, because there are other groups as well playing in that city that this will, of course, have impact on them. If you have a demigod, I don't care how big your city is. If a demigod shows up and starts rampaging through, this is going to have repercussions. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I you remember you you're saying that there's a magical revolution in this city or this Yeah, sort setting. of magical technology, yeah. Yeah, so is it is it like that, you know, that the at one point the magic was dormant or there was magic and then there was an apocalypse and then now that's a revival, like what's kind of the history and like sort of where is magic going and like are what are the limits to like mm-hmm. what magic is in this world? Okay, so I would I took it as like, what if the in the past it had been closer to your classic D&D setting where there's magic all over the place, but it's not necessarily codified and made really accessible? What happens if we industrialize magic and you have people who are actively studying magic, but not just studying it to learn the secrets, but learn like, how can we like straight up use this? Why can't I sell you a pair of a set of clothing that will never uh, never tear or if it tears it automatically reseals itself why can't we make healing technology available to whoever similar like why can't we basically imp- implant spells into various items or, or conduits of magic for example elevators can just be levitators you cast a levitation spell on it it is sort of imbued into this item now and so public transportation is all powered by magic and different forms of spells people can buy appliances now they're like instead of a stove it's like it's produce flame You know what I mean? There's like a magical flame that you can turn on and off. And then at the higher levels, you'll have potentially like low level resurrection magic that is available to rich people. How does this all function if we're going to try and say like, what if what if you gave this to the scientists in the 19th century and they were trying to build a a society out of it? So it's sort of like we've moved away from castles and all that stuff. And we are now building, you know. 19th and early 20th century style buildings with te- that technology, but magic sort of translated into it. If that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, and it's espe- cool. Especially like when you, you frame that revolution, because one of the things I always think about with magic in the real world is how much this isn't fun. Um, how much it's just going to get abused or turned into mm-hmm. like, okay, so I can cast this magic. Well then like I'm just, I'm putting in my time. I'm clocking in. I'm magicking out. Clocking out like it's just you know if it is it purified water because I live mm-hmm. in an area that has a terrible water supply and so then I'm just out there eight hours a day and then I go back and I go to sleep I get ready the next day and I'm just out there eight hours a day so I think it's like an element that you could potentially add to that revolution is ensuring that basically the people that hold this power are not then abused like you know creating a structure that allows for them to still have because one of the things with I would think with magic, even tied in specifically with technology, is those innovative elements. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, you know, going back, not that not that all of his practices or words were good, but Henry Ford, his thing was, if I asked what people wanted, they would tell me faster horses. Right. And okay, so the, yeah. his, his idea of innovation was like, if I'm only asking what people want and not trying to freely think out what is ultimately possible, I would have just tried to make faster horses because that's what people would have <laughs> told me that they wanted mm. rather than inventing the automobile. Um, also <laughs> I've tried, to, I've, I've been in the, the original automobiles. They're terrifying. I do not understand it. Like the amount of work <laughs> that you are doing to make it go down the road <laughs> while on wooden wheels. <laughs> it is the most uncomfortable thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. 
Um, and you're not going fast either. And it was it was more <laughs> mortifying. Um, but yeah, so that to to go back to say that, like, yeah, thinking about like depending on how much it plays in the into the world, then what are the goals of that revolution? Well, I can say I can answer it a little bit. A lot of it is is exploration and discovery for discovery's sake. Like a lot of the people who are doing it are essentially the academics because they're the ones who have the funding, who are receiving the funding and have the time and the education to be able to just devote large amounts of time to saying, hey, what will happen if we do this? So there, uh, I'll give two examples of advancements that have been, one might say, more helpful or at least dubiously helpful and one that turned out not so great. So the, the one that turned out somewhat helpful are advancements in criminal justice. So for example, if murder is now a very risky crime, because not only if the family, because resurrections are not free, they're still very expensive. But if they can afford a resurrection, then they're going to like, you basically, if you're going to kill a person, you have to make sure they don't know it was you. Uh, and and <laughs> oftentimes in like, if you're rich enough, kill, murder is almost like a threat in and of itself because you kill them. Like you can still kill them and they're just, you know, they're going to be brought back, but it's like next time it'll be worse. <laughs> That's essentially what you can say. Uh, but also if, if you, if they don't have enough money for resurrection, the cops can still cast speak with dead. That's what I was thinking. Uh, and so, you know, it's a pro if the mouth is gone. Essentially, like, you know, a pro did it if they remembered to destroy the mouth because speak with dead requires a mouth in order that requires that the dead have a mouth in order for the spell to work. So you can tell when it's been a job pulled by a pro. Other examples, though, would be stuff like non-detection. If, say, a police precinct has access to non-detection technology, now no one has oversight over the things that they are going to do. And so there's a um, there's an organization kind of based on the Pinkertons called the Phoenix Organization, and they have enough pull with the higher levels in the city so that all of their agents are able to use non-detection technology, which means they're able to get away with all sorts of crimes because they essentially have no real immediate oversight. It's very, and also modify memory spells. Like, there's all sorts Sorts of things mm. that you can now it 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 not it not only empowers justice but also enables more opportunities for corruption. Um, so that's one example of like we tried to make advancements that we now apply to a very specific system. Another one that's more just we're just seeing what we can do would be so awaken the spell awaken that you can use on animals and plants. <laughs> If you can like, if you can do that and suddenly have like a really intelligent animal that can do all of these things for you, like what happens if you can make your dog smart enough that like you can have a conversation with it and you can now like have dogs working in factories, like, like you know, uh, like uh, whatever do they're able to do with their little doggy paws or like bringing things back and forth. But what if we augment them further and start like imbuing them with technology to make them faster, stronger? What if we have animals that are able to be used as weapons of war? What if we start are thinking outside the box, not just stronger and faster, but they can use magic. What if they are uh, they have acidic spit, things like that that starts to spiral out of control, and suddenly you have animals that have been horribly experimented on, essentially going on rampages through parts of the city, and it's like, okay, we got to stop this. So in the in the lore of the in the lore of the world, there was a period about ten years ago where the government basically had to outlaw the creation of augmented animals because it got mm -hmm. too out of control and too dangerous, uh, and so a Allegedly, they were all destroyed. The ones who existed were all confiscated and then destroyed, which in and of itself is highly questionable because a lot of these were essentially mm. people at this point. 
it's never come up, but there is essentially a Dr. Moreau style society of animals living in the sewers who are all just basically people. And you will see occasionally there. In fact, one player is playing a person who doesn't know that he is an Og, an augmented animal. He thinks he's a Kenku, but he's actually a Shrike that was like combined with a lyre bird and like maybe a raven or something, but grown to like the size of a person. And so... They, that technology in and of itself is like there's another character who has a, an og named Old Boy. He's a Neapolitan mastiff who's he's just a he, by all intents and purposes he looks like a dog. He's just really smart and can help solve cases. But so there's different applications. But that would be one area where it's like we just wanted to see what would happen, uh, and it went horribly wrong. Another one where it's like we wanted to improve things, and in some ways it went right, but in other ways you know, people have adapted and started exploiting that technology because, of course, it's noir. So there's always kind of a darker, more fatalistic element to it where things can only get so much better, usually in those stories. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, that's fun. So, Adam, is there... So we'll pause there on Mavros, but Adam, is there a world that you want to share real quick? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, It's weird because because of the work we're doing, all the worlds that I've been working on are all the the NDA worlds. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. So, but I, I could just like whip one up on the on the fly here. I've always been interested in a world like Deadlands. I just love the Weird West, and I like the idea of like if you took you know the Western frontier, but then kind of mixed it in with like warlocks and necromancers and uh that kind of thing and just kind of started from that premise i don't know where that world goes but uh yeah i mean i've got like three worlds that i've worked on that are super awesome but of course you know can't talk about them but <laughs> it's like it's the uh it's the sad uh the sad part of like i it's it was funny when you were talking about you know like you know how you when you're a dm you feel kind of lonely uh, that's that's the case with be a, the, the, the be work a dm that, you know, under just, nda oh god yeah, yeah that's like, even worse uh, yeah. yeah, so it's it's no, but I but I like that idea because this is, I think that's a really good point, though, because I think that's another that's another question and idea that I think a DM has that is probably even lonelier than like a pre-established world like Jeremy's bringing up, like that has already had player input and buy in. And so then there's ways that you can seed the additional information that you're looking for out of a player without them potentially even knowing and like kind of putting it in the back pocket for later. But I think this of like, Oh, I'd like to run a new campaign. I think it's even harder to then sit there and hash that out with, with the players. So, I mean, my first question almost with all of them is what, if you did a Deadland style and you've brought up warlocks, like what, what are patrons then? Yeah. And, you know, I think it could be fun to throw in this idea of spiritualism. And at that turn of the century, when sort of, you know, Europe is kind of emerging with like uh, physics and like Max Planck and, and uh, Einstein are kind of coming out of that lineage. But there's this like experimentation with like static electricity, and they're trying to discover like, what is electricity? And what is uh, what are the, the the forces of nature? I think it'd be kind of fun if like warlocks break through to some kind of like Lovecraftian realm, but I'd kind of want to pull it away from Lovecraft and maybe get into more, what if you're channeling spirits, you know, and uh, the medium is sitting in a chair 
and all of a sudden like an ectoplasm comes out and it's this you know this creature and that becomes like you know a patron and you know the the spiritualist movement was in was kind of like in you know Aleister Crowley and all that stuff you're mentioning um they were really trying to push into that realm I think that kind of all came out of Darwinism which was like hey it's all about just evolution and we're kind of starting to toy with the idea that there maybe there isn't God per se but maybe science and or nature and this divine thing are all working to kind of together and it's sort of this amalgamation of the two there was like a little bit of this sort of heretical movement away from traditional religion and science was kind of the other force that was pushing against that and People were really struggling with that back in that era, you know, the idea that like science is really powerful and they're making all these statements, but religion has been our tradition. It's like, how do these things merge together? And I think there's some, you know, the West kind of symbolizes this and, you know, even to some, I think the West symbolized that, that it's like this frontier, this unknown frontier. Of course, to others, it was like the West was a symbol of just the end of a world, you know, an end of a way of, of living and this this horrible sort of colonization. But it's like to for the premise of this game, it's like wrestling with all those different things, mm. you know. And I mean, that would take a team because now I'm, you know, when I think of worlds, I think of teams like teams of creatives that come together and all kind of input into this world. Um, how would we build this? What's the right way to build it? what's a the interesting way to build it you know what's the fun way to build it but you know dealing with that like the people that already exist there and is it parallel alternate earth or is it sort of an its own world out in there and, and it doesn't have anything to do with earth maybe it's just kind of using those things i, I don't know like I, I don't know if it's like uh, you have arizona <laughs> the the <laughs> the territories of that area mm -hmm. and it's just this weird alternate planet earth or you go completely different but it's analogous to kind of earth's experience i don't know there's you know i think there's something interesting in there but i think there's also you know if you know you're going to do that you'd have to do it very carefully because you know there's a lot of sensitive issues that are are going on with that 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 time and space and uh you know but you know those are challenges to be sort of dealt with I have, yeah, I that's I think that's a really interesting idea. I have I have worked on a Weird West setting, Outlaws and Obelisks. Yeah, <laughs> um, and one of the things I think that's worth acknowledging about the Western genre is it's very, it's virtually impossible to completely divorce it from Manifest Destiny uh, and genocide yeah. and things like that, that were very much a part of, quote unquote, the spirit of the Old West. The reason we were there in the first place was not just to settle that land, but it's like we were, it was not unoccupied land. So I think, yeah, yeah. I think the, the way that we did it for Outlaws and Obelisks was by not having it in the United States and, and basically having it be, you're the, it was a post-apocalyptic situation. So people were exploring the land that their ancestors had already lived on, but it had just That's been transformed. Cool. Whereas in this context, because it sounds like it's much more in an American setting, I think it would be very important to, not only acknowledge those elements, but I would say subvert them in some way and create opportunities for narratives that would go against what actually happened in real life, rather than in terms of what happened to Native Americans and black people and yeah. the Chinese and so forth during that era. 
So I think the team would need to include native people. It would need to include people of various backgrounds, but definitely people of color. Uh, but I think the spiritualist aspect is really interesting because what you're describing uh, and that more like interconnected, like it's not just a God who oversees everything, but God is in the workings of nature, I think has strong parallels in a lot of the religions of the people who were being mistreated during that period. And so I think that actually creates a great opportunity to give voice to a lot of cultures that have that are in groups of people that are very much overlooked during that period. It doesn't need to be exclusively that you can still just be like, hey, here's a town, you know, an, uh, an outlaw rides in and the sheriff has to fight him. And then there's also spiritual stuff going on. But the idea that as much as the Europeans are exploring this stuff it, kind of for the first time from their perspective, or at least the first time in a long time, you have groups of people hundreds of thousands or millions of people on this continent who have already been engaging with all of that and have a lot more knowledge in those areas. And so it could be promoting sort of a, a culture, an actual positive cultural exchange. Now, mm. the difficulty would be you would need to find a way to put them on a more even footing. So it is not framed as in movies where you have the magical Negro character who just shows up, helps the white protagonist, and then it's like, well, bye. Uh, and then the protagonist goes on their merry way. You don't want it to be that. But I do think like an actual earnest cultural exchange that moves away from, we want to take your land away. And more like, look, we're here now. Let's figure this out. So it, it might be that a slightly alternate history would be better. That might place everyone on a more even footing. That's like, oh, uh, maybe 40 acres and a mule actually happened. Uh, and, you know, you have a colony of or not a colony, but a community of free black people living in part of the United States that they're like they're not facing racial oppression necessarily. You have Native Americans who are living on their own and, and in their societies and are able to exchange back and forth with the Americans and Europeans without fear of impending invasion and genocide. And it's more like, well, look, you all are already here. You know, we still have to maybe address some of what happened before, but you're here now. Let's let's work something out. And it's like everybody growing together as opposed to people fighting. And, and look, you can still have conflict, obviously. Conflict is inevitable. But I think it would be nice to build a game that offers a way towards that while also, cause I think that what you're saying exists, like, like I'm saying, the par there are parallels to what you're describing in those other cultures and hopefully would still have the Western flavor uh, and like the spirit of adventure. And look, we're all learning about each other's cultures. We're all learning about this, you know, this world that we're all, we'll have different understandings of and that sort of thing. My first thought with that would be, what if there, I mean, Geography can be whatever you want it to be, but for our framing device, what if that final mountain range that is on California still has never been crossed by anyone? And so, like, you basically have all of these cultures and societies almost budding up to that and working in tandem and together to try and make that final step. Like, is it and is that the main conceit of the world of like, that's what is it some, you know, air quote, evil opposition that has been holding everyone back. But now that cultural exchange and them tapping potentially into and this is a fun thing I like to think of is. What if that source of magic is the same? It's all the same bucket, but everyone is adapting in based on their cultural experiences and the things that they know to do to interact with it makes it different. And so then you can, you know, with the right team, then you can really go into those things um, and have real world touch points, but also making it unique and for each set of people that is engaging with 
basically the source of magic. Yeah, I think, you know, like when I, you know, build worlds, like there's this point where it's like, okay, you know, what's like, what is the adventure here? What, you know, why am I, why am I playing in this? What, what are, what are the fun things that I can go on quests for? And like in, in, in a world like this, it's like, you know, the mysteries, is there a common sort of threat? You know, is there the, what, what is the conflict here? Um, you know, is it that there is some external force maybe from another dimension that's coming in and that all the disparate kind of groups that are on in this sort of West world, um, they're sort of waking up to this other dimension that's kind of moving in. And maybe there are good and bad things that can be accessed through mediums or um, you know, and also like kind of thinking like, what are the different types of magic in this world? Like, you know, spiritualism might be one form of magic, but there might be another kind of form of magic. Like maybe it's like very early electricity, these kind of basement, uh, you know, experimenters like, or like Abraham, or not Abraham, uh, Benjamin Franklin types, you know, where they've got the kite out in the storm and they're kind of checking things out or, and then, you know, if you have there are you know different groups on the on the land that have their own unique way and they have their own sort of like understandings of the forces that are going on here and you kind of you know either if if it got, you know you all have player characters that are from different groups and then you can kind of combine your uses of magic you know one one might have druidic magic one might have sort of wizard magic one might have you know some sort of a, a ranger or barbarian magic I don't know, like the classes would be completely different if they're maybe it's a classless game. You know, you don't have classes here. You just make your character the way you want to make your character. But I think exploring different different forms of magic, you know, what are the gods? Are there gods? Maybe maybe it's just powerful ancient spirits that are sort of anything that can get to God level. But it's weird. There's some kind of sometimes, you know, be building world for a game. And at some point I'm like, you know, this world actually, it feels more interesting as a television series than as a game. <laughs> like, and I don't know if, if you either, both of either you have had that experience as you're building something where you're, you get to a point you're like, this is more, I just kind of want to tell a story yep. with this world instead of actually, it's, it's a place where people can play. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I can see what you're saying there. I think I can see it being a really fun world to play in, but I think it just needs, I think it would just like what you're talking about, the different cooperation between different forms of magic and different understanding. I feel like even that as a premise, a lot of people would want to explore a world like that and find that really interesting. I think all you would need is like a bit of lore to start us off. And then the rest of it is like, all right, it's a world about, it's a game about, and I think that might even be the important thing is learning. What is this game about? Is the game about like mm. cooperating together to survive and not just survive, but like overcome greater challenges together than we ever could separately. Is it like, because of the conflicts that were happening, it create like some sort of divine retribution occurred. And now people are trying to pick up the pieces after that, or, you know, trying to recover from this. Or is it just that at some point, people said enough is enough and they started breaking out some powers and it's like, Oh no, <laughs> now what are we going to do? Uh, we have to completely yeah. change things. You know, you have to completely change it. Our whole approach and our whole mentality. <laughs> I, I kind of like the feeling of um, a little bit of like, you know, there are these forces that are being discovered 
and you know science could even be kind of seen as like they're the dwarves that are digging too deep you know like mm -hmm. they're they're pushing into this through the, the 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 fabric of reality and as they're doing so they might be encountering things that are they shouldn't be um and maybe it, it kind of starts to take it into you know people can be raised from the dead you have sort of these like zombie gunslingers and uh you know that maybe there are other things that are you know being unleashed you know forces of nature that were dormant and now are alive again and that are kind of freaky so there could be this this sense of you know we've got to like be a little more cognizant in this world about what we're doing and then the heroes are are sort of you know all kind of dealing with it from their own particular perspective and from their own particular culture and you have different ways that the different cultures deal with it. Like some culture might be like, we've just developed all these artificer weapons, like six guns and shooters and rifles. And, and another culture might be like, hey, we've learned how to, you know, become geomancers and we can use the earth and we understand the earth to a really advanced degree. Um, others might be like, we have watched the stars for centuries and now we, we, you know, can, you know, contact um, entities or we can use the the power of these stars for you know purposes ways to you know channel magic and and things like that so when you put your band of adventurers together you have this really sort of eclectic diverse group that can solve problems in different ways and then i think as you're writing adventures for that then then it's like okay this adventure you know the the, the six gun shooter will still have their 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 place to do stuff but this one's really going to highlight the the one that can actually read the star charts. Maybe this, you know, like that kind of a deal. And and I also like that there are those within those cultures who have kind of been tainted and have gone over to the other side and are like, oh no no no, like all this weird weird crazy stuff. We're on board now. We want to be undead. <laughs> you know, we want to live forever. And you know, you've got your kind of lich lord. Um, you know, like. Uh, you know, whatever, like Carnegie or something becomes a Lich Lord or, or Edison. Imagine if Thomas Edison becomes a Lich Lord and, you know, <laughs> imagine. Like, I'm going to use what electricity. Mean, what do you mean? Yeah. Imagine? It's, no. <laughs> yeah. But like the robber barons and people like that, that honestly makes a lot of the Gilded Age that they're very Lich like, like I'm going to exploit, I'm going to essentially <laughs> sacrifice all of these souls in order to empower myself. Uh, to greater levels, mm, like yeah. previously un or levels of wealth and power that have been unseen for centuries, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that makes that's a lot fun. of sense. And I also think of like star magic, the idea that like if you could create a constellation that fits the goal that you're trying to make, and then the power is the power of the spell related to how strong those stars are in the sky so then it's like it better at different times but if i make my own i was like oh no get out bail neil bail um okay so i have what could easily be like a third version of this so i have the world that both my home game both of my home games where it's with my kids um as well as my normal home table it's also a world called Dayimbe, which is actually just saying DMB, the initials for the podcast, in a weird way. That's great. Um, so it was kind of collectively created on our forums. Um, and I eventually had Devin Rue uh, do a map. Oh, yeah. Um, and so she actually, it was the first digital map she did. So she went way, 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 way deep because she was learning the technology. And I said, yeah, whatever extra time you need to take. And so she actually added a lot of names to things that weren't previously named 
So a lot of my inspiration comes from like, oh, wow, what's this? Like me almost like experiencing the world myself because someone else named several pieces of it. So we will see how technology allows for this. But I will see if I can share my screen. And then that way we're basically going to look at a part of the map together um, to say, oh, OK, so what are some things we could see here? Do you guys see the map? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the Painted Forest... Uh, right on. So the Painted Forest is where my daughter's um, elven ranger comes from. Um, and she came up with the idea that she's, like, from the Starsong clan. There are only 25 of them at any time. And I was like, that's super weird. I don't know what that means. But I accept it openly. And then Autumnbrook is the kind of the non-elven town that's in that area that's been established, but there's like a connection back and forth. Um, so now that said, I have no idea what this lake called the mirror is. I don't know what it could be. Like, it's just a giant lake called the mirror next to the painted forest in Autumn Brook, as well as a, a place called Josh Stead, which I think is really funny because it just seems like <laughs> a guy named Josh Stead there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess like my question would be like, what is like when you look at this and um, dear listener, I'll um, I'll cut this and I'll make a snapshot of it and have a link in the show notes. But like, what is the mirror? Mm. <laughs> My instinct is to ask, OK, what how are we with like parallel dimensions and that sort of thing? Or alternate realities? We're game because in my home game, I have one character who like intentionally came here from the Eberron setting like knowingly left there to be here to like avoid their own issues and i have a second character who just recently showed up who is a warforged that had been repurposed and their name is jukebox because that was their job <laughs> they had been like some timey-wimeyness they've been here a lot longer than the other character um so yeah both alternate and time-wise we've we've dabbled a little so i'm open okay my uh, my first thought then is that the mirror is so-called because you can't see past the surface. Uh, you look at the surface of this and all you see is yourself and what is above you. But maybe it's slightly off. Like the version of you that is looking up at you is ever so slightly different. And you'd only know if you stare long enough. Sometimes maybe if it's at night... People have noticed that the stars don't match 100%. Um, sometimes maybe it starts getting light there slightly before. Not like by hours and hours, but like a couple of minutes here or there. And if a person jumps in, oftentimes when they come out, they're never quite the same. And my thinking is that, <laughs> the, that it is actually a look into a slightly different parallel version of our world. And so when you look into the mirror the other version of you is also looking into the mirror. And if you jump in, you're jumping into another world and the person who comes out is actually the other you. And everything is ever so slightly different. Maybe some things are very different, but I, I like the idea that it's like, you it's so-called because you literally can't see, you, like you literally cannot see past the surface, but you can still fish in it. And the fish that come from this place just taste different than they do anywhere else. It's because you're, you're literally <laughs> fishing for fish from an alternate reality. <laughs> the, 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 the local restaurant has mirror fish on the menu. <laughs> Oh, that, that that's far out. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, because I'm trying to think if, yeah, if it's always the same place that the mirror connects to, or is it, like you said, just this 
always just a little bit of a different place. So like, is it that during different parts of the year, the fish tastes different and you're fishing the same spot, pulling the same fish, but they taste a little bit different because it's not always the same parallel that you're looking through. Mm. And maybe people tell Mm. you don't look into it too much because if you keep looking, sometimes you'll see something that is truly alarming and like you look in there's some version of you that has like an eye patch uh no beard like weird spiky mohawk is like covered in like scars <laughs> and spiky yeah. armor just like looking back with like the mo- the most intense grimace and it's like ah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god oh which is which is really funny and see this is part of this is part of how it works because now i've, I've scrolled out i assume you can see that i've scrolled out Ooh, dreamers thicket Literally, dreamers thicket. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that. So the name of the forest now south of the mirror is called Dreamers Thicket. Because my thought was, as soon as this happens, there's no way we don't have people that care about it. Like you're gonna have a, yeah. a group of people that see this, and it's a thing. It's if not a real big thing. It could be that do they send people through oh yeah like and is that there is that there is that their shtick like they're you know they're actively sending people through and like you could use magic to stay potentially in communication as they cross that mirror yeah or you tie a rope and just throw them in that's what i was just gonna say that (laughs) exactly you just tie a rope to them and jump through yeah that's great and they call it like dreaming it's like yeah maybe that's like the community they live in the thicket and, you know, you're ne- you're never quite sure if they all started from here. Like, if this is where they came from. They may have all come from, like, a lot of them may have actually been from alternate worlds. But it's tough to tell because sometimes the differences are so small. There could be something freaky where, like, if you go to sleep in, like, Autumn Brook or Joshstead and you have a really powerful dream, something from that dream just kind of walks out of Dreamer's Thicket into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's drawing from your dreams. Or there's some connection between your dreams and what gets kind of created in the dreamer's thicket. So if it could be that it's putting dreams in your head or you're putting dreams into it and it is generating those dreams and putting them out in the world. There's something weird there. Yeah. And I like, well, I like the idea of things coming out of either one of them, coming out of the mirror or coming out of dreamer's thicket um, and not having a real explanation why. And then, Jeremy, you hit on it. The idea that the dreamers thicket is what if that's kind of that's that's the crux of this society society is these people that all feel like I mean, it's closed, but this isn't this isn't my home. So then are we all kind of banding together to figure out how do we get back to our true home or how do we even just better understand what's happening here? And so, yeah, is the society in dreamers thicket? Um, all of these people and animals and whatever else monsters that come out of both the mirror and the thicket for some reason. Yeah. Well, and jumping off of what Adam said, I mean, if if the waters or if all these trees are growing here, surely they are being fed by some of the water from the mirror. So like maybe the, the dreamer's thicket is unique because there are trees there that you can't find anywhere else in the world because they don't exist anywhere else in the world. They don't exist in this world. And that dreamer's thicket is a place like where Adam said, where things from the other worlds sprout through. And maybe like dreaming is especially when it's happening in the vicinity of the mirror. It's like you're looking 
into another you another reality. And when you dream hard enough, when it's like an intense enough dream, sometimes thing you can accidentally bring things through. Like I, I find that yeah, I find that idea really interesting. Could be um, you could go and to like it makes me think of when I first saw the mirror. I had like some ideas, but then when I see the two together, it makes me think of like when yoda is talking to luke and he's saying like you're gonna see vader and you've got to deal with it like it could be this thing where you have to go into dreamers thicket like you go to the mirror to look and you see sort of reflection of what your quest is like what you need to do and you could then go into the dreamers thicket to go on that quest and the, the dreamers thicket could be when you walk in like the local populace could be like, we never, we don't know why it's called the dreamer's thicket. Like somebody named it, we've forgotten it. And now everybody just kind of knows that it's that. But the real reason why it's called that is that you, when you go in there, you, you kind of enter into a pocket dimension that was created when you looked into the mirror. It's sort of like this, this kind of hero's quest just wrapped into that little area. So you go to the mirror, you see this other reality where you're like, this is what you have to do. This is the thing you must face. You like in the, in star Wars, it's like, you got to go face Vader. And then Luke kind of goes into the dreamer's thicket. And then in that he has this sort of mystical experience where he faces a dream version of Vader. And then of course he sees himself when he pulls off the mask and he's like, Holy crap. And then he wakes up or whatever. Could be like that. I feel like my brain just broke. Um, so you, uh, yep. My brain broke. Hold on. I got a piece, <laughs> got a piece of back together. So, Jeremy, I think it was you that mentioned that when you look into the mirror, something is looking back and the whole point. And so that means in that parallel universe or whatever, that the same thing is happening. That's why it's different every time, because it has to be in a pair. It has to be the parallel universe where you are looking into the mirror mm -hmm. at the same time as you are in this one. That's why it's different for each person. Because that same, that different version of you is having to do the exact same thing at the exact same time. Yeah. And so then like each person could fish different fish because then that means that there's an alternate version of them fishing in the mirror at the same time. And then that really speaks more to that hero's quest is that there are two versions, uh, it, you know, at minimum, but for the sake of the conversation, two versions of your character basically being in the same part in the world at the same time and then that making that connection between the two is because things are so close mm. and yeah. so then is that is that that was that what they're focusing on is that okay so this person has a, a deeper connection are they more magically attuned to this process because their person is so close to them in the world in that other world. And so is that connection stronger because basically they're just hanging out in the same spot. It could be that like the person on the other side of the mirror, if it is a version of you, let's just say for laughs that they're, you're, you're kind of quantumly entangled with all those, those versions of you. And maybe the version of you that comes to the other side of the mirror might have a secret for you, might have a quest for you, might have a thing of like, Hey, I know I've been dreaming on my side of the veil and I know that I've got to give you this bit of information. It's sort of like the thing of like, if you could go back five years and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? And you would, you would impart some, you know, with, of course, for the purpose of the game, you're wanting to impart some kind of fun quest. Like 
you must go to get the needle that, uh, you know, the, the mat or the magic, you know, spear that is on the mountaintop, you know, guarded by the dragon. It could be something fun like that, or it could be something cryptic, like, you know, you must travel to the stone circle and be there at the full moon, you know, like, well, who knows, then something weird will happen. Then that, you know, could then it could be like, well, or go into the dreamer's thicket and then you'll understand or something. And it's like, okay. And then the quest, you know, the, the journey begins, whatever that could be. But it, it could be like that this other version of yourself is trying to help you. Or it could be that the other version of yourself is trying to knock you off base. You know, it could be a, a kind of a trickster um, spirit that you see. Well, I, I, I think about the person that is from a place that better understands the process. So they could be spending more time here trying to connect to more versions of themselves. Uh, and then is it for positive or negative? Jet Li's the one. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> They just yank I'm you in like, and, and they're trying to, <laughs> trying to get stronger by offing off all the other versions of themselves. Yeah. And if, and if you're playing this with young children, the dreamers think it could be something where you go in and, and what you dream comes true. Like it makes your dreams come true. Like, and you're like, Hey, I want to, you know, have a dream about, you know, uh, you know, riding a flying horse. And then all of a sudden it's like a flying horse shows up and you're like, all right, you're going to go on an adventure now. And you fly out of the dreamer's thicket and the, the flying horse takes you somewhere cool. And, you know, to like a floating castle in the sky. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, fun. Could be something very uh, fairy tale and, and charming like that. Yeah. Especially if it, it is specifically able to be encountered in the thicket. Like, I like the idea of it, mm. the thicket being multiple things at once. Like, that is where a community of people live who are maybe trying to figure out, like, what is my connection to the mirror? What is the mirror? Let's plumb the secrets of it. They can still do expeditions. But also the idea that, if you, that like, the mirror absolutely can be used as, like, a quest-giving opportunity. Like, you look into it, maybe the other version of you says something maybe or or there's some indication or maybe like the world that you look into sometimes will begin to sprout through in the thicket so you go in and you can encounter things from that other world similar to the luke skywalker thing except the idea would be that like he was looking into something and in doing so he was essentially conjuring the you know the version of vader that he then met that he fought uh in the forest and it's like Instead of it being like an actual dream, sometimes you can, I'm thinking of uh, Us, the Jordan Peele movie, where it's like you can sometimes, every once in a while, the alternate version of you will be like, nah, I'm staying. Or even like a bit of a faith <laughs> thing where you get lost and the two of you accidentally swap places or you go into another world and you come bring something back. Like you bring back uh, the head of, so, you know, an alternate version of someone from over there, which means that their ver like their equivalent of you wants to come to our world and now get your friend's head because uh, you killed their friend over there. <laughs> like there's different I think there's different cool ways to approach this. I love that. idea. Like there is a group of people in here and they are trying to figure this thing out. And they, sometimes they fail spectacularly, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it could be fun that in the thicket, there are these clues like inscribed in the trees or you lift over a stone and there's cryptic writing that there were, you know, this, this group of people that are living there, they're almost like scientists or scholars in a way, or like a experiment. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out this great mystery. And, you know, some have a better grasp of it. Some have like figured out, like, we know this much. We know if you go here and you do this, this thing happens. That's all predictable. Like we've, we've, we've done it. We've iterated on it. It works. But at this point, 
like weird stuff happens. We don't understand it, but hey, adventurer, you know, we'll, we, we'd be happy for, you know, if you'd go check this out for us, you know, and then you're like, okay. <laughs> well, I also love the idea of then making Josh stead. There's something about it that just speaks to me that like they came from a different place Maybe it's much more similar to our world, and their name was Josh, which, yeah, obviously for a fantasy world, that's a weird name. Um, but Josh Stead is some of the people that don't have that scientific like ability, they just happened to come here because they happened to fish and fall in, and mm-hmm. so it's just this society of like, well, I don't, I guess if they figure it out, if you know, team science figures it out, I don't necessarily want to be <laughs> on the opposite side of the world. Like, I still want to be close enough that I could help them because then then is it this is well, I mean, I guess that's the answer. It's they could be forming the other side of society that was required, like they're farming, they have homes, they have built basically an infrastructure for science to continue to happen. And they take on the role of those sorts of things. It makes me think of um, Sword Art Online, where the guy's like, well, I can't go. I can't go be fighting in that dungeon, but I'll be fishing. I'll be right here fishing for you. And when you need them fish, you just come on down, and I got you. Um, so maybe that's like maybe that's what Josh did is. Yeah, yeah. It could be that Josh like it doesn't affect him. Like Josh looks in the the mirror and he's just like, oh, I'll just look and see myself. Josh and is the same like, in every there's... reality. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It's like he's just kind of like. In some ways, he's a very simple being, but in other ways, he's a very like uh, super powerful being. Like uh, you know, and he's just like all I know is every time I throw my my cast my line, I catch a big fish, and that was enough for me to found Josh dead and build my farm here. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder. I mean, it could be that one of the players has like a really deep attachment to all of this, and it could be that they want to do a pilgrimage back to the mirror as part of whatever you know cultural and societal norms they have from it and i would 100 percent. and this is we're getting long on time so this is the one i'll leave it with i would 100 percent have a pc look in and see nothing Ooh, Ooh. yeah no back at them yeah <laughs> dun, dun, dun. yeah ah, perfect so I love it. <laughs> so the most important question though on that final note is Adam, where can people go to see all of the awesome things you're doing when you can eventually talk about them? Uh, yeah, uh, next year I'll be able to talk about some of them. Some probably not for another three or four years, but uh, you can go to, uh, I have a Twitter handle is at Adam of Adventure. And I uh, also have mysteriousalchemy.com if you just want to, we're, you know, we're always building the website. We'll probably put on some fun stuff, you know, in the in the near future once we get kind of like our heads above water here because we're just in the sort of early stages of growing the business and, uh, you know, working on a bunch of different stuff. So, yeah, we've, we've moved from uh, we still do a lot of TTRBG work, um, but we now have moved into video games and, you know, now the NDA times are longer. So they're like, yeah, this isn't going to come out for three or four years. And we're like, eh. That, that's kind of terrible, but, um, you know, but at the same time, uh, it's a, it's a different medium, you know, very similar, you know, like most video games, if not all of the RPG video games are all based on D and D. So that those, those skills kind of translate over somewhat. Um, there are kind of new frontiers like narrative design where you're, you're writing, you know, on like unreal engine or the other one, uh, unity. I forget unity. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, there's that kind of stuff, but we're, we're still pretty much just doing IP development, making worlds, characters, locations, cool stuff. And we're also kind of like story and script doctors will, will read people's, uh, you know, worlds. They'll be like, Hey, what do you think of this? Like, give us feedback. And so we'll, we'll, we'll consult in that way. But, uh, but yeah, check out, um, I, I, I kind of a lurker on Twitter. I just kind of watch all the cool things. I, I check out all of Neil's awesome little dungeons that you, you draw. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Those are super sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love them. They're just great ideas. Um, and, uh, but yeah. Uh, and then just the website, um, and probably when like the book and the tarot set, start coming out then i'll probably tweet a little bit more on that and just kind of i've been actually thinking of doing um just some like videos or podcast stuff about just tarot card reading and um and then probably we'll also eventually wind up talking about world building and just sort of these are sort of my tips and tricks and best practices and things like that so uh, well we'll see generally i just like to like observe from a distance <laughs> it is more fun that way yeah <laughs> Yeah. Direct engagement yeah. is a positive and negative thing at every moment. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll say something nice and fun, and then somebody like, oh, are you a jerk? And I'm like, what? I just yeah. said, like, trees are nice. Yeah. How, dare How dare you like trees? Yeah. yeah. Well, why didn't you talk about these trees over here? And actually, these trees are invasive, <laughs> and it's bad that they're here. It's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I hate trees. How could you? I don't know yeah. what's happening. <laughs> I'm completely Why? neutral on trees. Nope, that's not okay either. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be this. You love these are the you know, like, oh god. Yep. So yeah. Well, perfect. We, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, it. I mean, I think we all got a lot out of it, and hopefully you did too, dear listener. But Adam, we will definitely have you back on. I'd love to be back on. This has been totally fun. Um, I love the way you guys think. Uh, <laughs> it is so great to just hear the ideas and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I need any time. I totally enjoyed this. We just want to thank Adam again for coming on, sharing some insights with us about tarot and of course about his world that he came up with, sharing his insights on the worlds that Jeremy and I presented. And I have little to no doubt that we will absolutely have Adam back on the show. If you want to tell us about the world that you're playing in and hopefully get some of our feedback, you can... Uh, Email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, you can hit us up on any of the social media platforms that we're on. We're on Twitter, aka X at DMS underscore block. You can go to Facebook. We're there. We're on Instagram. We're on threads. Technically, we're on Blue Sky, but I haven't quite figured that out. And there's not really many people there, and it's really hard to find them. But we're there. And if you follow us, uh, maybe we'll post things. Who knows? And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other amazing shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, and more. And as always, thank you for listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Master.
Goodbye.